वेलकम टू सिंटॉक Talkers around the table today discuss the borders, boundaries, and fences. We'll think about different kinds of boundaries in the conceptual, analytical, geopolitical, biological, computational, linguistic, physical, and other realms. We'll try to understand why some boundaries are crisp while others are potentially fuzzy. how do we anticipate the boundaries of a future state of a system are there similarities between insurgents malware and an ant colony potentially what is a symbolic boundary and how does one trust one's neighbor both explicit and non explicit neighbors We're pleased and privileged to have four sim talkers around the table today. Commodore C Uday Bhaskar, who retired from Navy about ten years ago, and is a security analyst with a think tank in Delhi. Professor K P Mohanan, who's a linguist and is interested in inquiry in all spheres. He also enjoys helping students acquire these abilities. He is from Aysar in Pune. Professor Sanjeev Sabnis, who is a statistician, and he enjoys teaching, research, and interactions with the industry. He is from the mathematics department in IIT Bombay. And Professor R K Shamsundar, who is a computing scientist. and looks at the impact of computational thinking on science technology and society in general he is from tifr in bombay mohan maybe we set the ball rolling with you um to understand what comes to mind uh, from your standpoint and you clearly traverse many different worlds and many different disciplines on a day to day basis when you think of the word boundary and how would you broadly Create a taxonomy of it, and what are the different kinds of boundaries, and how do we uh, start from there? And then we'll just set the ball rolling, and then pack it in different ways. Thank you, <clears throat> thank you. Um, when I saw these words, boundary, fence, and border, yeah. What I was thinking about was, what do these words have in common? What are the meanings of these words? This is typically what you know the way I think as a linguist. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then. it struck me that what we are about to investigate is a kind of metaphorical concept what the, using the word boundary or the word border the word fence as a metaphor for various things yes so in a literal sense you could talk about the national border or an actual physical fence around uh, a house yeah uh but then at a metaphorical sense you could also say that a cell membrane is a boundary yeah um and if you say a cell membrane is a boundary you have to ask what are the functions that this boundary performs so a cell membrane gives a kind of unity to the material inside the cell yeah it also allows interaction between the material inside the cell and outside the cell yeah so it 
allow certain things to go out and certain things to come in. And in that sense, it is exactly like the national boundary. The immigration serves the same purpose. <laughs> it allows you know, certain people to go out and certain other people to... And it keeps a check on the uh, movement. Yeah. Uh, then I said to myself, well, even something like the skin of a multicellular organism has the same function. It, the skin covers the whole body and gives a certain kind of unity and integrity to the whole, whole body. Yeah. And it acts as a uh, dividing, <coughs> dividing line between the interior and the exterior. But then you where, where, where does that boundary belong? Where does the skin belong? Do you see that as belonging to the ex exterior or to the interior? The skin is part of the organism. Yeah. But that, that so the function that it serves is to control the, uh, the going out and coming in and also give that unity. These are this the two main functions. Right. But it also acts as a way of knowing about the world. So it is around the skin, that surface, that you have things like eyes and mouth and ears and so on. Sure. Um, information goes in and information goes out. Yeah. So do materials. Uh, and if you view it that way, then a circle is a boundary that distinguishes the interior and the exterior. Yeah. At a more abstract level, then you can say um, something like a crispy definition is a boundary. So if I say something like even number is... 2N, it uh, gives you a definition. There's clear inclusion and exclusion. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. What would be fuzzy? What would be a fuzzy boundary? Well, a fuzzy boundary would be try something like distinguishing between red and orange. Yeah. <laughs> the boundary between the two is, you know, you don't know where red begins and or, you know, orange ends or vice versa. But what is clear in this case is the center. There's clear, clear center for red and clear center for orange but when you move away from red to, or move from orange to red the boundaries in fact non-existent so these are categories which have centers but not boundaries and the large number mm -hmm. of uh, categories that we come across in real world is are of that type interesting that's very interesting sham how do you think of that how do you think of a fuzzy set and what what is a what is a boundary from a comp computing standpoint the way you think of it See, in my view, uh, boundary in the context of the present scenario, I would uh, categorize as one is physical and one is virtual. Okay. And another one is abstract. So you're distinguishing abstract from virtual? Yeah. Okay. And uh, for example, in physical, you can see the national physical boundaries. And for example, one of the things I learned was Ganga, when it flows from Rishikesh or Haridwar to Rishikesh, uh -huh. somewhere the pebbles come and due to the nano effect of pebbles, <laughs> it becomes pure. Right. And so this is also technically a boundary if you see it in a larger sense mm -hmm. that there is some side the water is coming and some nano effect is coming because some small pebbles are dropping and then of which some nanoparticles are emerging and they are cle cleansing the uh, impure Ganges and then it flows the one. This is a, something a you cannot see. It. You cannot yeah. see it, 
So but, what would this be? Is this an abstract? It's, it's not an abstract boundary. It, 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 that, a, that's where we cannot see it in our bare eyes because most of the nano things, you cannot see it. So you, you would still call it a physical boundary. Physical boundary because sure. at some experimental level, you can see that happens. Uh-huh. Virtual is something that is happening in the cyber world. Right. Uh, because now there are no real national boundaries. And uh, so it essentially becomes, it is virtual. Whatever way you want, you can draw a boundary. Across Pakistan and India, you can have one boundary, which you will not imagine physically in whatever way you are. But is the, I mean, when you say cyberspace, you kind of broadly mean internet or you just mean the computing? Uh, uh, when you say internet, computing is already there. Both yeah, of course. computing and communication come together. Yeah. And then uh, in that space, you can draw whatever virtual boundary you want based upon the way you are going to worry about. But from a, from a, from a categorization standpoint, you would call it boundaryless or you would just say that the no, I would still of, of say there is age. a boundary because at least there are two, like a Dvaita. You have at least two things. Yes. One is inside and one is outside. Right. So these two things have to be there in the cyberspace kind of a, a framework or the other. Sure, sure, sure. So the other one I would call that as an abstract uh-huh. because in my view, again, in the cyber world or even something else, maybe in the philosophical sense, it may have something like trusted and untrusted. Okay. And so now you can say that as long as it is a trusted object, what is the way the interaction is happening between the trusted and the untrusted object? Uh-huh. This is an abstract notion where you have to define the trust, which itself may be so fragile to define. But in the cyberspace, we know that what we are always trying to see... Is that process of authentication? Process of trying to... Uh, the trusted object interacts with an untrusted object yeah. without itself getting poisoned. Yes. And so that <laughs> is where there is the abstract notion of a trust and an un- uh, untrusted object which itself is abstract. You can't completely make a mathematical definition of this is trusted object and this is an untrusted object. Right. But in that case, is there an explicit neighbor at all? or it, no, uh, There is a neighbor is in this world is also uh, not completely defined, uh-huh. uh, but uh, you can reach that point from so many ways kind of a framework right he could be neighbor based upon some model what you have in mind at that point kind such of as a what framework. such as what uh, just like even for, uh, for example uh, pure connections pure uh, wire connections wired communication right or you can say wireless in which case i don't have any real neighbor it's only the hop distance. If I increase it, it becomes more. So it's the hop distance that hop comes distance. in. Interesting, interesting, yeah. interesting. Uday Bhaskar, how do you think of borders? Clearly, you deal with it in a very worldly, geopolitical, strategic, defense studies, border studies kind of way. So it's super fascinating. Uh, do you think of it as a physical boundary? Or are there is there an abstraction to it as well, the way you deal with it? Well, thank you for inviting me to be part of uh, Sintalk. My own entry into this domain is as a security analyst, yes. you know, which is what I would call as a lower-end discipline when I look at the other Not at all. The <laughs> we <laughs> but, beg to disagree. <laughs> but for me, I think when you talk about borders, boundaries and fences, mm-hmm. and I was trying to get my thoughts in order, 
I was reminded of that fable in the Panchatantra about the blind men and the elephant. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there is any which way in which you can approach this whole concept. And Professor Mohanan, I think, has made the link between the cell membrane. Yes. And the tangible physical border. Yeah. So let me be one of the blind men and talk <laughs> about my own entry that for me as a security analyst, when you talk about boundaries and borders and i want to pick up from what professor shamsundar has said that at one level we talk about the physical boundary between uh -huh. states nation states uh -huh. but at the same time given the kind of technological advances we now have we are also aware that there are other kinds of linkages between nation states and that the physical boundary is not really definitive and cyber is a good example where you can have cross-border linkages which in a way bypass the physical boundary. So to that extent, if you talk about India and Pakistan, since it had already come up for discussion, uh -huh. I think it would be fair to say that there is a certain idea of the boundary. Yeah, It's also a contested boundary. Yes. So to that extent, you know, you find a lot of turbulence, bloodshed, violence, and this has been the history since 1948. So I think the specific sort of issue that I would like to focus on is to say that when we talk about nation states, that the concept of the boundary is of relatively recent origin, you know, if oh, you look at it in a historical sense, because... In terms of the trajectory of the nation and the state itself, you know, uh -huh. that itself is a complex subject. But I think if one could put it slightly simplistically to say that in days bygone, you had empire and empires had frontiers. They were not really so... How would obsessed. you distinguish that, Udaybasa? Well, if you talk about, say, three empires, you know, the Mughal Empire, which is of interest right. to us or you talk about the Roman Empire which right. is a couple of millennia before they were engaged in ensuring their rule and their credibility uh -huh. and they did not have a fixed line you know today when we talk about nation states and boundaries we all there's think of maps to it, right. and we think of maps and we think of red lines blue lines and <laughs> there's a sense that this is the line or the boundary but to me, again, as an analyst, is that how in the old days, empires, as I said, had frontiers, which were fairly, I think the fuzzy part comes in here. Right. And it's only when it is challenged that you needed to establish a certain definitive control over territory. You know, the right. moment you talk about nation and state, territory comes into play. Right. And it's only around the 17th century, as I said, one school of thought is that the Treaty of Westphalia of 1648, uh -huh. in a way brings into the discipline what you call as an agreement between nation states and a concept of borders, which progressively with colonization acquires a different kind of rhythm. Right. And then, of course, in the 20th century, we are now dealing with what I would call as the legacy of the colonial impress, particularly in Asia and Southern Asia where we are. And again, for me as an analyst, it is the fact that India, Pakistan and China represent one kind of uh, matrix yeah. about contested borders, boundaries and territoriality. And the flip side is that the moment you go into the oceans, you know, the maritime domain, yeah. or for that matter, cyber and space, yeah. it is still, shall we say, less than clear. How different is a maritime boundary? Well, the maritime is seen to be, I mean, the oceans of the world are considered to be the global commons. Okay. So there, there is no fixed line because that's the nature of the medium. But yet, and sitting in Mumbai, 
you know one is aware of the fact that you had an attack here in 2008 yeah. a terrorist attack yeah so willy nilly countries now exercise a certain degree of sovereignty and control and i think that's the point i want to come back to what mohanan said uh-huh. that the moment you define a boundary a certain responsibility also devolves upon you how do right. you look after what is within the boundary and if challenged how do you deal with that external impulse you know whether you talk about the cell membrane or you talk about the case of two nations where they draw a line is this point of identity which you know, mohanan was talking and ownership about. i would say and you ownership. know the ownership and the contestation that goes with it right and therefore what kinds of impulses and there i think perhaps and i'm just putting my head on the block here to say that there is a linkage i think between the life force you know whether you talk about the cell It's or you talk about the you know national leadership wherever <laughs> the sense that you know you need to control and protect and if you have an aggressive orientation then you go beyond your own boundary and engage in whatever be the impulse of so that moment so it's an indication moment. of some kind of vitality so, and yeah, dynamism exactly. as well you know, you know, i mean space uh, you know you can sort of how do you sort of mark your space territoriality territoriality i think yeah. that is the linkage as i see it between the impulse for the life force in the amoeba all the way up the chain or whichever way the chain moves it's beautiful be it's beautiful and that. when do you think this extreme militarization set in um and uh, because i mean there is such a thing as a border but there are borders which are heavily militarized and uh, you know i would say that specific to what we are going through in asia and uh-huh. it's an interesting example if you look at the entire map of asia again you know yeah. the, it's, yeah. it's yeah. interesting how we associate lines in our own thinking you know when i talk about asia the map comes up and i'm sure anyone who yeah, you know, but you know as kozievsky would say map is not the same as the territory yeah but know? at the same time it gives you a sort of what i would call as convenience of being able to bring Visualize an image it, you know correct. mentally so if you look at the map of asia and start from the northeast you know where you have japan china and korea as one set of players yeah where there is contestation over territory yeah and there is a very high degree of militarization yeah including the possibility that nuclear weapons are part of the inventory of the players concerned yes <laughs> all the way through south asia you know where we are where again india pakistan and china i think are locked in a very unfortunate politico military situation right. in terms of territoriality and borders right and then move westwards whether you talk about pakistan afghanistan what is happening today in iraq syria and again it's just a coincidence is there a border there at all well there are you know territories that are being contested they were borders at one time and syria is a tragic example so we go back said, to the frontier state in a way well in a way i think we are back to that what i would call as the impulse to control yes and as i said i just want to close on this to say that it is more coincidence that two days ago i was in gaza yeah <laughs> in israel and they took us on a conducted tour the israeli defense forces i mean the representative sure. and it was very stark you know meaning that till then it was notional but when you go there and you see that particular strip and the way in which both sides are both contesting and defending the brown strip it's more than territory because then it goes into various other issues of identity yes and what is it that you're defending what is it that you're claiming yes so i think that's what i meant by the blind man and the elephant saying that there are layers and layers in terms of how we you know look at this and since can i give you another minute because i've Please, done a little sort of you know thinking about this before i came here you know i'm above 
this much of you know what i would say Please, that ahead, is being Please. discussed is above my pay grade no, so I like don't. a good student <laughs> i try to do a lot of reading before i came into this discussion yeah. and it struck me that when we talk about the concept of the border itself you uh-huh. know somewhere deeply embedded in my mind is a concept in hindu metaphysics you uh-huh. know which is i'm sure it's elsewhere so i'm only using the word hindu metaphysics because of my own entry into this that it talks about the cosmic void okay and what i have been taught or heard as the uncreate uh-huh. Uh-huh. and that in this void in this uncreate and this is specific to you know the concept of shiva right they talk about shiva straddling and entering the uncreate and the void and thereby creating the boundary ah so you know it's a very interesting rhythm about what existed before the boundary correct and the cosmic void as i said it's differently and maybe correct. i'm sort of simplifying putting this in a rather simplistic correct. way mm. but the you know ontological if you will origin of what constitutes or how did boundary itself come, come into being yeah yeah so i just thought i'd add that and you know yeah, make the point that i did some homework <laughs> <laughs> and that's very interesting that's very interesting sanjeev maybe we go to a somewhat different world and when one looks at let's say the more mechanistic kind of world when you looks when one looks at a large machine when one tries to project or predict what the reliability of it would be how is it that future outcomes somehow seem to have boundaries and upper bounds and lower bounds and how does one go about dealing with that conceptually and maybe we'll unravel it after you say a few words oh i think first of all i would like to begin by thanking the center for inviting me to today's event sure and uh, see uh, when this uh, topic today's boundaries borders and fences fences and that was communicated to me the first thing that that crossed my mind was that the the subject I, uh, that i deal with in this statistics does not have boundaries at all because yeah it doesn't have boundaries at all because you know i think uh, name any field be it cryptography be it uh, uh, industrial applications or psychology or weather wherever the data or the observations get generated yeah. one is required to analyze it statistically yeah so in that sense statistics subject is pervasive yeah okay now uh, i would not agree with you that the that the, the things which are what do you call uh, the produced in the industry they don't have boundaries that's what you said i suppose no. is it no? i mean how do they have lower boundaries how boundary do they have what is upper and lower bounds statistically and Uh, well i mean you know the again uh, see uh, you have a population and you know nothing about the population so what one what one usually does is one draws a sample and based on a sample the inferences are required to be drawn about the population yeah now there are two ways of doing it you know maybe if you want to get an idea about uh, let's say uh, what is the average amount of time um, amount of time a particular gadget survives yeah okay so that would get estimated uh-huh. let's say by a point estimate let's say sample mean yeah okay yeah. but if you want to associate some certain degree of confidence yeah. to it then then that calls for the uh, construction of so called confidence interval Right. Okay, so that that will be that confidence interval is. So what so what is conf- confidence interval? That will confidence interval will tell you the the probability with which the population quantity is likely to lie in the 
between the lower and the upper limits right that is what i mean that is what is meant by confidence interval yeah okay so i mean uh, the And and, but, uh, and and but there are certain things where you know they certain entities uh-huh. where they uh, the entities which have only let's say upper bound or a lower bound. Oh, is that yes? Okay. Yes. Like what? Okay. Uh, let, I mean, for example, if you tr- again, as I mentioned about the sa- sample mean or the average, yeah. which is used to estimate the population mean, and yeah. if you want to determine the distance between the two. Uh-huh. Okay, and the probability with which the distance between the two will not exceed certain value, yeah, pre-assigned value, I think that that probability is bounded above by some some number, and that is and this result is in fact due to Chebyshev. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that so this probability we know that of course probability we know that is always greater than equal to zero. Yeah. But this Chebyshev inequality in fact gives you the uh, upper bound on the probability with which the sample mean would differ from the population mean. Hmm. 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 Okay. So yeah, hmm. that is. I mean, uh, one way of looking at it, or maybe you know, uh, for example, if you're trying to uh, determine the reliability of a system. Yeah. Okay. So now determining the reliability of a complex system is always difficult. Okay, because this system is made up of a uh, large number of components. Yeah. So what one tries to do is one tries to come up with an upper bound or the lower bound and. Uh, these upper bounds are obtained using a let's say a simple system like a parallel system where the components are in parallel yeah. okay so it is sufficient for a one component to function in order for the fun- uh, for the system to function yeah and that is that provides you the upper bound whereas if you have a series system that is the for the series system to function each and every component uh, needs to be in the functioning state okay and that that will help you get the lower bound on the reliability of the any arbitrary system that you have right right and how how and you know maybe we use the terminologies that we used earlier when you think of these upper bounds and lower bounds and there's some kind of a physical system just for lack of a better word how crisp are those bounds or how fuzzy are those bounds is that I mean, every time you deal with a different sample, or when you think of when you statistically mark a certain physical system or an engineering device, um, does it come with a certain confidence interval on the upper and the lower bounds as well? Or yeah, that's what you know I mean. What, I you mean? Know, what we say is that the population quantity, which continues to remain unknown to us, uh-huh. we say that this is with certain probability, this population quantity is likely to fall between these two numbers. That's what we say. Right. Okay. So these, I mean, maybe on one hand, what you have is, you know, these are, I mean, uh, theory-based results on one hand. Yeah. And when you apply these results in in practice or in application, it yeah. may happen that you know these uh, results may not actually uh, hold. You yeah. Know? So they, that's why we have nominal confidence interval and the actual confidence intervals. So nominal ones which are specified by theoretical results, and actual ones which are observed in the uh, in practice. Interesting. We'll link this up with other concepts as we go along. Sham, when we think of uh, you know, let's say a different kind of boundary, let's say the boundary between the solvable and the unsolvable, the way Turing would think yeah. of it, maybe it's super fascinating. Yeah. Uh, maybe it. Yeah, this is speak? one thing I think. Uh, in some sense that's where in some sense i also called it the abstract uh, uh, abstract yeah because uh, that's uh, one of a theorem which is i don't think you can say any other uh, theorem in the whole uh, science or engineering kind of a framework which says that uh, whatever can be computed uh-huh. 
currently or in future can always be computed by this machine now called the Turing machine. And which also meant it classified uh, two classes to say that these are problems that are solvable and there are problems that are not solvable. The question is that is, there is a boundary now. There is a notion of solvable and unsolvable. And now the question is that is robust. What does so that it's mean? a robust line That's separating a robust two. boundary between the solvable and the unsolvable problem. It's problems. a crisp line. It's a crisp Very line. Very crisp line. Mm -hmm. And then the solvable one entities cannot cross into the solvable entries, even if you think there is something that is going to emerge in the uh, future. For example, consider the quantum computing supposed to have solved uh -huh. our uh, problems in a much efficient manner. But still, it cannot put something which was an unsolvable element or a problem into a solvable this one. This is one of the very crisp boundaries that exist. Uh, uh, in the uh, sciences or sciences of the artificial. But why, why is this profound? Y you're splitting problems into solvable and unsolvable. Yeah. What gives it, why is it deep? Yes, Say again, I think it's a deep thing. Again, if you look at what Farnyaman described this problem as, uh -huh. he said you can uh, construct any organ, whatever you can imagine. Okay. But you cannot construct one organ which says whether you can construct this organ at all or not. Right. So you were thinking you can do anything whatsoever you can think of. But however, you cannot uh, construct one uh, entity which is capable of saying whether this guy can construct this organ at all or not. This is a very amazing factor which is not there in anywhere and this is a Amazing thing which emerged from a very, very simple notion of is a computer. Is this in any way, would you link that conceptually with Gödel's incompleteness theorem? Oh, it is uh, in some it sense, it's always uh, uh, related kind of a framework or the other uh -huh. to say that it is because of that the incompleteness theorem also comes into the realm because, uh, uh, because incompleteness at some point wanted to say that everything I would be able to uh, do that in both the ways kind of a framework or Correct. the other, which this says you cannot do that. But individually you may be able to do that, but I cannot do it for all entities which is infinite uh, in this sense. Right, 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 right. Interesting, interesting. And Uday Vaskar, how do you think of the no man's land? How do you think of this area between what is no man's land in this area that no one really occupies, that... Is there something interesting happening there or is more fallow land? Uh, I, I'll try and sort of give you a response. But as Professor Sham is speaking, I've just been thinking about something very, you know, elementary taught to us as children, maybe 50 years ago in mathematics, uh -huh. which is that does infinity have a boundary? Yeah. You know, and one of the examples that used to be given to us, and I'm talking about something that, as I said, is rather elementary, Pi, 22 by 7. Yes. You know, we used to be given this exercise in, as punishment that keep, you know, sort of finding <laughs> the last decimal. Yeah. And as I said, I left yes. maths fairly early, so I'll stand corrected amongst three 
accomplished professors here yeah. that maybe it has been found the end of pi i'm not sure what's the answer but there's no end it is a question of rational and irrational numbers so it's an irrational number it keeps going on so would it be fair to say that infinity has no boundary you yeah. know i'm just again yeah. raising this more as a query yeah. yeah, but at the same time we say that yeah. i'm sorry but at the same time we say that the parallels meet at infinity you know <laughs> yes yeah. yes Yes. So is that a I case mean, of quantum computing? I think computing? some of this is difficult <laughs> because the notion of convergence has emerged. Uh, for example, all probabilistic uh, argument of convergence, uh-huh. which essentially means all the infinite thing I am going to converge, and this cannot exceed this lower bounded upper bound emerges, and right. that's what what I am looking for kind of a framework. Interesting. And now, uh, over the infinity, you have several ordinals coming out. whether pi 1 pi 2 pi 3 and all that kind of a thing are the other yeah, yeah. so at a mathematical abstraction level this is a very very a subtle thing kind of a framework but we should ask professor mohan and maybe to throw light on this when professor sabne says that parallel lines meet at infinity yeah the suggestion <laughs> is that they do meet Yeah. In which case, yeah. is infinity say, have, have a boundary? I mean, <laughs> this is an interesting play. I mean, there's something dialectical yeah. about this. <laughs> yeah, actually, this the, this is the distinction that we need to make about boundaries that we cannot reach, and therefore unending and yet bounded. It's in the nature where, of a horizon. So, infin- take take for example, pi. Of course, the the, the process goes on. The number of uh, decimals will keep increasing. However, it will not cross, for example, five. right yeah. the, the value of pi cannot so there is an upper bound and there is a lower bound and yet within those two bounds it in fact it won't it is yeah. the process is infinite yeah. so there is infinity within finite space and finite space means lower and upper bounds so and that's important yeah right? and this was essentially the zeno's paradox if you remember yes so uh, to to the snake give a brief idea tail. of what it is yeah. uh, achilles uh, runs 10 times as fast as tortoise so Uh, the tortoise is given you know 10 meters uh, advantage and by the time achilles runs about 10 meters the tortoise has moved about 1 meter and by the time achilles gets to that 1 meter the tortoise has already moved further and so on and so zeno argued achilles will never overtake the tortoise right that was a mistake <laughs> because what zeno showed was that if you keep dividing up 10 to 1 by 10 1 by 100 1 by 1000 you can go on infinitely within finite space however yeah yeah, yeah. that's it's still finite so achilles can overtake zeno so there's a distinction between uh, an infinite process that takes place in finite bounds and that's also in fact the the issue that you were raising about the, the mean which is a center right and the upper bound and the lower bound so if somebody if you were told that kp mohanan is an adult human being and you are asked what's his height without seeing me you would be able to say around like between 5 and 6 yeah correct and can it be 4 feet yes can it be 7 feet yes less likely but if i ask you can kp mohanan be 6 inches tall you will say definitely not so there is a there is a clear even though it is not a crisp boundary there yes. is a boundary the upper bound and lower bound yeah and if if you are told that kp mohanan is a mouse you will say yeah of course maybe you know four <laughs> inches so there are these uh, we have to keep these two things apart um, so infinity is a <laughs> okay somewhat tricky notion and to answer this question i think if parallel lines are defined as lines with 
where the distance is exactly the same distance between the two lines is the same then clearly they by don't by definition meet. they cannot meet because the distance is zero uh, the difficulty is that we are thinking of infinity as a point as opposed to infinity as an unending process if you think of it as a point then infinity becomes a number that infinity is not so that the the what we say in schools that parallel lines meet at infinity not in euclidean geometry in some other in projective geometry yes and but not in euclidean world. geometry yeah 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 but if i can pick up the no man's land Please. since that's what you had asked me you know i think the association is again since we are speaking about the subcontinent and what happened in 1947 between india and pakistan yeah you know in the regional literature uh-huh. we have that very famous story of toba taking yeah of course occupying no man's land you know done by manto which i think is perhaps reflective of the human dimension you know when we talk about boundaries and borders and lines and fences and i think again at one level that is the tragedy there i think very very poignantly correct reflected in that story correct. where the no man's land technically is when two states have in a way established certain lines certain boundaries mm. and are then you know left with this very anomalous situation where one strip or one stretch is neither a or that of b and it is described as no man's land you know for a variety of as so i said reasons so is it boundary reasons. a line or a region so it is really stateless, stateless meaning that you know it's very interesting if we sort of accept the notion as we say in maths and what happens to lines. things like labor capital culture so i think no that's where land. you know it's technology driven that in the old days when you did not have say hypothetically internet and cyber yes. then you know all movement had to be across the physical boundary yes or you had to circumvent it and go through the maritime boundary or maritime domain and enter from another direction right but i think in the last 10 15 years particularly because of the advent of cyber uh-huh. you now see what i would call as the dissolution of the kind of definitiveness that national boundaries had introduced at one time right and that is very applicable here and the other case study of course is that you know again i think it's reflective of the human condition that if you look at the last 1000 years of recent history you know countries and peoples have gone to war over centuries you know over notions of territoriality boundaries borders identity and then dissolve and then dissolve it and like i think the european union is a very good example germany of say, and germany france, and france <laughs> where you know if you travel there you find that yet of course there is a certain degree of shall we say acceptance that you need to have a boundary or a line but that is more for the exercising of administrative control Correct. and that's where to go back to professor mohanan's point of the cell and the membrane that within germany the responsibility devolves on germany to maintain law order sanitation whatever you know right. public goods right but yet the average german can move across that particular notional line and enter you know all the way to iberia and right. that to me as an analyst is interesting that even in the context of the trajectory of nation states these are not cast in stone that's my point even if they have been paid for in blood interesting it's i just want to say yeah, a little please. bit here see in the classically like what he was telling what the zeno's paradox yeah so one of the most important things when we analyze a software uh-huh. is that is it possible for me to tell at what point uh, it reaches this point or not 
okay uh, that is whether x equal to 5 or t equal to 5 exactly happens uh-huh. and between t equal to 4 and t equal to 5 i have to tell exactly at t equal to 5 stop the program executing yeah. under the same notion of the zeno's paradox yeah. you can say that kind of questions how do you deal with that yeah. we cannot ask for that and then we make an over approximation okay to say that it shall never reach either 5 or that one and then you do either an under approximation or an over approximation and you call your safe it is just like the civil engineering you compute and say you need 4.5 inches of this lab and then say add a safety factor and safety factor and make it 6 inches right and right. so that is the way one is going to do that that's in some sense a border kind of a framework and the other point It's what i yeah the other thing what i wanted to tell in the no man's land it's just like the cognitive computing if you show a puzzle Uh-huh. is this distance 4 inches you show you know in a yes. converted figure the brain may say 4 inches and 4.2 inches it does not really matter yes and also why is cognitive computing has become an important aspect is it is just taking some part from all considerations but it computes yes. with a, that's how the big data and the probability distributions are making a big impact how the dimensionality reduction can happen kind of a, a very frame, interesting uh, very framework or not kind of a thing then i would say these two lines are almost the same from a cognitive computing perspective in the same way now in the no man's land what is it in some sense if you look people from both regions like burma and the indian border they may look alike yeah. they may be having the same common language same similar and cultures and then there is some distance in which i don't want to say that they belong to burma or they belong to india let them continue with whatever they are doing so drawing the border is some kind of an uh, over approximation but it's a upper bound to say that after that i find they can make some at least some discrimination Uh, like there is one point i can say yes this cluster should belong here and similarly there kind of a framework which in some sense gives us a sense of boundary i'm now floating so you know so they asked what do you say is that i mean a, a similar impulse and reason behind doing linguistic states and ethnic states is, uh, is is something similar at work well in a way i would say that if you look at how as i said the evolution of states state is dynamic yes. you know yes. states are created states collapse and so on so in that sense i think if you look at the evolution of states there is a point you know for instance uh, professor sham talks about india and myanmar india yes. and burma as an example now you could translate this across you know many other continents as it were and again i come back to this question of the tragic fallout of this yeah. is what happened in the cold war in berlin yes again if you recall the berlin wall. Yeah. so the famous wall yeah. which becomes the line which actually runs through families literally i mean we talk <laughs> about going through houses but since i have visited there and i was you know had a chance to be there at the 25th anniversary of the fall of the wall right and there were some very tragic stories about when the wall came up in a very draconian way it was a decision taken by the state yeah so if we relate state to authority yeah and authority to hierarchy yes you have types and types of lines yes you know how hierarchy introduces a vertical if you will right and in a way distorts what you might call as the lateral and you have this line going through the lives of families and people separated on either side because of the compulsion of the cold war so i think what it is pointing to to my mind is the domain 
yes. you know the texture of the domain yes. what kind of a state yes why yes. did east and west end up in at one level the folly of the berlin wall and i think that can be again extrapolated to our condition here to say that you can have you know situations like say india myanmar india bangladesh india pakistan which in turn is the inheritance of what i often say the colonial legacy you know which yes. had its own notion and sense about both boundary and lines and frontiers but and I that is why the division to, i just want to interject why do you want to bring in the colonial this one isn't it a human way of settlement like even if you consider the aboriginal people in australia they were settled in some region the way they were behaving according to their own rules and regulations because at some point when you're only two you don't need a rule but when you cross 10 you need uh, some kind of a rule now when a software company becomes 50 you need intermediate managers and people are afraid whether i would be taking a person of the same quality of what i'm looking for it's a so hierarchy is emergent it's emerging yeah it's a emerging thing that happens kind of a framework or the other like the boundary on a religious boundary we can see in the varanasi a temple the masjid of the wapi or whatever it is this side you cross it and then you enter the vishwanath temple <laughs> similarly in the jerusalem when you enter that famous uh, this one you see uh, this if you cross this is uh, uh, belongs to uh, palestine and this belongs to uh, this one kind yeah. of i think there is an explicit wall when you touch that you don't know whether you are touching on the other side which have already technically gone into the other border yes <laughs> so religion has some kind of a boundary even in the hindu philosophy for example like the advaita which said uh, there is no boundary or anyone is the same kind of a framework but to realize that one can only go up to that level and then see that and then you come the dvaita which means that at least there he and i are there two different things are the other and then the vishishta dvaita tried to say how i can make there is something shavals very curious what is the computing world like is it more advaita is it dvaita you know it is very difficult to see if you go at the electronic or the god particles level yeah <laughs> everything looks same there is no boundary right Yes but uh, <laughs> if you go at a computing level it is the question of solvable and unsolvable yes and which is something again as i say it's an abstract world and then in the computing so turing would say it's dvaita he, he was in the sciences of the artificial right and uh, whereas the natural sciences or like physics or the einstein or whatever it is yes you have certain axioms to understand and explain what we have understood so far yeah tomorrow if somebody comes with a counter example then i will add another axiom to make it correct right <laughs> uh, like the famous uh, feynman said you can only say whether there is something uh, incorrect right but you cannot say it is perfect same thing applies for security right. you can never say a system is secure you can only say when a system is insecure because right. you don't know what would be the threat model it would change yes. and then whatever it is so in that sense there is no boundary at the level of a security because it's a futuristic kind of a thing or thing. i think it's a very interesting point how do we, how how do you think of a malware how does a malware how does a virus go about 
Is, uh, you is know, there a boundary for that? The malware, uh, malware is technically, uh, it needs to enter. There is something like an inside and an outside. Yes. And then uh, once it gets inside, then you don't know where it goes. Yeah. And so now it is just like a trusted and an untrusted object. So it's the same. And an untrusted wanted to somehow is outside the trusted. I have to enter in. It is just like a... A convexity, I'm inside or outside. So yes. these are inside and outside. It's a very important consideration for security, a principal kind of a framework. Can I answer How that think, question yeah, on yeah, you know, why colonization, yes. you know, which Sham yes. had asked? Yes. I'm just thinking, you know, why am I referring to colonization more than once when I talk about boundaries and borders? Yeah. And I think perhaps it's a case of saying one, it is empirical, meaning that colonization occurred. It happened. Yes. It is part of the narrative. It is factual. Yes. And in a way, I'm thinking of path dependency. Saying yes. That if the subcontinent had not been colonized, then maybe, you know, some of the issues that we are now discussing, whether it is in terms of religion, ethnicity, culture, language, whatever, may have been differently mediated. Yeah. But because we went through the experience of colonization, which, as I said, is an occurrence. Yeah. It is factual. It is part of the real. Yes. It has left an impress and which is why we are now, you know, dealing with this tragic situation of no man's land. The fact that families are divided, as I said, we don't have to go to Berlin. India, Bangladesh is a very interesting example of the enclaves, which again has been dictated by hierarchy, meaning the hierarchy of the state. Correct. And what happens when states decide that they have to divide? Again, going back to the cell membrane, you divide territory. It's very interesting. And make that particular line, which may or may not be valid from many points of view. And I think it's in that sense, you know, to answer mm. Professor Sham's and question, why colonization? Yeah, please. Can I than. add, uh, there's an interesting distinction between what you mentioned as frontier versus boundary. A frontier keeps expanding or, you know, contracting. Fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it, can be, it can be crispy, but the point is it is dynamic. It keeps, it, typically if it is colonization, keeps expanding. At some point, if there is more powerful somebody else, then it, it keeps uh, contracting. But when colonization freezes, when it ceases to exist, then the boundary is also, the frontier becomes a boundary when it gets fossilized. Oh. So at that point, at that point, it, it is no longer possible to redraw the lines unless you, you know, destroy the or national sovereignty. Or you agree, you know, or you come Something to an agreement. That, yeah. Because I think this is very valid what yeah. he's saying in relation to India and China. That yeah. both are what we in the jargon call as the post-colonial state. Yeah. Yes. And we have an imagined frontier come territory yeah. come boundary. But there is no consensus. And therefore, today China and India are locked in what I think is an intractable dispute unless there is some very, I would say, objective give and take about a larger kind of goal. Yeah. And China is caught in the same situation in relation to the maritime domain Correct. in yeah. the ASEAN countries With where they talk about the nine-dot line. Correct. So that is, but I want to ask Mohanan a question if I may. Please. And just, you know, as we are speaking, thinking of this, how does language play into our understanding of border <laughs> or line. I'll give you two examples. Yeah. In our own context, you know, the English sort of limitation of so many letters and so many words. Yes. We have used line, we have used boundary, we have used border. In Hindustani, if you were to go into the Indian or the Sanskritized kind of version, it would be Seema. Seema. And yes. Seema par is across the border. When I talk to my friends from across the border, they use the word Sarhad. 
Yeah. Now I'm just asking this since you're the linguist that to what extent does language itself define or limit our understanding of the concept? I mean is there anything yeah. there? Actually language the notion language is pretty difficult for linguists. And for a long time linguists refused to define language because it was found to be next to impossible. Well, that's amazing. You're saying the notion of language is difficult for a linguist. Yes, I mean even <laughs> even today if if you ask me what is a language? Yeah. Uh, uh Urdu and Hindi two li- different languages or two varieties of the same language. Linguists would typically say no, they are not two different languages, it's the same language, two different varieties. Right. But then if you ask why do you say that? Right. Other than some kind of gut feeling. It is very difficult to give a clear definition such that this answer can be defended. Right. And so is the notion species exactly the same problem that biologists find. And there are classic cases at some point people said that uh, but species are more differentiated aren't they I mean that's the whole concept of speciation no, no? the biologist doesn't know what species are and the linguist doesn't know what lang- language <laughs> so i think that's we are to giving the googly that there are no lines actually <laughs> <laughs> no i think i think the way to model both species and language that's heartening to hear to hear, <laughs> yeah. to hear a linguist say there's no language and a biologist no, no, say no no sorry sure, i didn't say it's not i didn't no. say there is no such thing as language difficult there is to, yes yeah it is difficult to define in crispy terms yes but if you abandon the the crispy definition and you go for sort of fuzzy categories or better still prototype categories yes. where you have clear centers yeah but no boundary then it becomes possible and there's a classic case of the dutch german border yeah where the people who say they they speak dutch yeah and the people who say they speak german understand each other perfectly but the people who speak dutch at the border and the people who speak dutch at the center they do not understand each other <laughs> so why do you say these two are part of the you know That's same language it's very exactly similar situations uh, same kinds of situations happen in species as well right so this is called ring species in biology where variety a can interbreed with variety b so according to the one of the classical definitions they should belong to the same species correct but variety b also interbreeds with variety c but a cannot breed with c exactly so b belongs to two different species at the same time it's beautiful that is kind of difficult to you know it's beautiful so but if you change the model yeah. from crispy category to fuzzy or prototype model all these things make perfect sense that's beautiful yes, sanjeev maybe I, yeah, please i just yeah. wanted to ask uh, professor monan one question that can one uh, sort of a find a bound on the number of centuries a particular language would last something like that i mean <laughs> i know yeah this is this is a difficult question to answer in fact i gave a talk on this in the indian uh, linguistics association conference just a week ago and i asked the audience they were all linguists uh in the in the evolution from old english to middle english to modern english yeah is old english dead is it a dead language and 50% of the people raised their hands and said it is a dead language and others said no it's a living language modern english is simply a variant of old english now a lot of people you can in fact go you know further and say what about proto germanic did that die when it split into german and english right uh, right this is like asking the question when a bacterium splits into two cells uh did the parent Die. organism die or is it continuing to live in the two <laughs> these are yeah. all difficult questions to answer yeah uh, but if you again if you take the the fuzzy notion of centers without boundaries my own uh, take would be yes old english did die 
in the course of becoming modern English. If you ask me uh, something like Mohanan when he was two years old or ten years old, did he die? In my own view, yes, I died. You don't I mean, have I, a single I'm not the same cell. person. Yes. I'm not the same person. I don't have the same cells except maybe a few neuronal cells. And my mind is completely different. I'm not the same person. So I died. In fact, in a certain sense, you can say I'm continuously dying. Right. Is a possibility. Let, you know, let a mere <laughs> sailor Russian where learned professors are being tentative. Please. Since Professor Sabnis asked this question about languages and are they dead, are they alive? I'm just again asking as a layperson. I would make the case to say that it is linked with demography, meaning that if a language is spoken, if one the carrier imagines dies, it is alive. So you're talking with the yeah. carrier in the language. So if you say that, can you have a bound of so many centuries for a language? So I will, am making the case. You would the study case. the water. How would you go about it, Sanjeev? Of studying. Uh, uh, how would know. you answer the question you asked? Oh, how would I answer the question I asked? Maybe I think. Um, because that's a very interesting <laughs> notion. No, it's, I'm saying you study the mortality of demography. Yeah, to say that if you have, you know, a certain set of yes. people yes. who are speaking a language, then one can make a case to say the probability that it is alive is high. Correct. We have lost languages. I mean, there is a linguist sitting in front of us. And yes. there are recently, there was this case about, you know, the one of the languages in the North American continent, one of the tribes. They had reduced themselves. To, I mean, they were reduced to five numbers, and the senior generation, when they died, the language was lost because yes. the younger generation did not find it necessary. And this Correct. doesn't even have a script. Correct. And all that technology can do is As to record a few conversations. Correct. You know, and but then it is alive in a cyber vault or you know wherever, it's not very necessarily dynamic. So I'm just making for Professor Sabnis's consideration Terrific. that you could perhaps link it to demography and therefore have a bound. You yes, know, yeah, that's right. my point. But there is still a difficulty. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, please. You want to go ahead. Sorry, um, uh, because you said if no speakers of a language exist, then that language dies. But then you are assuming there is something called a language. Right. So let's assume that uh, the variety that is spoken in Pakistan called Urdu and the variety that is spoken in Hindi, uh, sorry, variety that is spoken in UP, one of the varieties die. If you say Hindi and Urdu are two different languages, then one of the languages is dead. But if you say they are varieties of the same language, the language is not dead. Right. So unless you define language and you are able to say that these two are two different languages or varieties of the same language, you don't know when a language dies. And since we don't know what a language is, we don't know when it dies. Terrific. Why so, don't we spend the last two, three minutes just uh, speculating and anticipating what the long-term future is likely to be? Actually, the word dead itself is something can be questioned. It's too crisp. <laughs> no, it yes. can be questioned because now uh, due to the DNA, some of the old amoeba bacteria they can be revived. Can be revived yeah. Have been revived. So what does that mean by a dead? Yeah. Is something I don't think uh, you yeah. can define that. I think it's, uh, we are making good progress. We're putting <laughs> everything in doubt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like if you see the Darwinian or the proteomics, uh, you can explore what could have been the way this could have become. What could have been more. the direction of evolution? Uh, kind of a framework or the other, Terrific. or even you going to the Turing's way of understanding the patterns on a leopard or a, a zebra. Why the patterns have to be in this manner? 
why could not uh, have been in this way when he gave a dynamic simulation pattern it showed Correct. it could have been only this way nothing else kind of thing because it could not have originated when it was a single cell kind of a framework or the other so in that sense i think uh, this makes a uh, like a uh, like you were saying even on andaman i think some of our tribal languages supposed to have lost the carriers kind of a thing but thanks to the current age one is trying to preserve some conversations or whatever it was like even the harappan uh, script Correct. we don't know whether you call that language dead or i don't know uh, if you evolve like what he said yeah 10 Fossilized, years I think you have to construct back kind of a framework. It's an evolution. Very uh, interesting. Why don't we spend the last minute uh, and, you know, we'll go to the humble sailor. Uh, Zudai Vasker <laughs> keeps calling it. What's the future? You know, a thousand years out. Not, not, not an easy question. Just mm. repeat the last house. Thousand years out. What would borders be? You know, I'm just thinking that, not, my God. Not what, what you wish it would be. Yeah, what no, would what it be? Would, I'm just saying that, you know, maybe I'll deflect this by saying that <laughs> we started this talking about the blind man and the elephant. And now that we have agreed that there are no lines and there are no languages <laughs> and what is death, I think I my last thoughts are that, you know, apart from being blind, the elephant is moving. <laughs> so <laughs> we are grasping different aspects of the elephant. It's But thousand years from now, again, I think I'll give the safe answer. And that much depends on, again, path dependency, saying that where are we thousand But years a, from a now? But a somewhat simpler question, you know, would there be fewer borders I think, or you know, more borders? The kind of sanctity that we accord to borders now may be diluted. Let right. me put it as... cautiously as possible <laughs> and is that desirable well in a way yes because i think at the end of the day we have to relate to the human condition yes you know whatever we are doing in terms of whether it is individual endeavor societal endeavor state endeavor it has to i think at somewhere contribute to what is the human condition right it's a great note to end this on i think thank you so much to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you all soon thank you so much take care thank you thank you